I'm not just happy, I'm her pal. This is Power Up Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Gianna Lucas, co-founder and CEO at Hapal, the social enterprise that powers this podcast. We help you slay life in high school, uni, and beyond. Each week on the show, you'll learn epic life skills in a super chill way. Hear from well-known legends as they reveal their biggest setbacks and milestones to date, and you'll find out what our Hapal squad think about a whole stack of topics too. From epic challenges to super raw moments, this show has it all. So let's power up life. Welcome to our bonus episode with Sarah Davidson, author and host of Seize the Yay podcast and co-founder of Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. In case you didn't know, Sarah just published her first book, Seize the Yay. I've been reading it and it is so good. I love it. It's full of sliding door moments, quotables, top tips and other fab resources. In this bonus ep, Sarah and I chat about her book as a springboard to give you a whole lot of tools and tips to help you feel more confident and chill at the same time. We chat about what imposter syndrome feels like, the power of mates who challenge you, and even how to write your very own book, plus loads more. In Seize the A, Sarah describes herself as equal parts nerd burger, bookworm, and crazy arty farty performer kid. This pretty much sums up this bonus episode as well. So let's power up life. Sarah, firstly, I just have to say your book, Seize the Yay, is absolutely beautiful. I was just talking to you off air and I was just saying I'm a fan of it. Five stars and I haven't even finished reading it yet. It's just a remarkable piece of writing. It's funny, it's witty, it's full of aha moments and little breakout quotes as well with your top tips and it's just so good. So well done on the release of your book. Oh, you are so kind. Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, my absolute pleasure. And I was just telling you before, this is the first interview I'm doing about a book. So I've done lots of interviews about people's lives and I know I've already interviewed you for the Power Up Life podcast and you're back again (laughs) about your book. We just can't get enough of you. And I just wanted to firstly talk a little bit about the moment a person puts down your book and they finish that last page, what's that feeling you want them to feel at the end? Like if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two, what would you say? Oh, that is a great question. I think once upon a time, I wouldn't have even asked myself that necessarily. I would have gone straight to, I wouldn't have thought about necessarily the impact of each person reading it. I would have been like, okay, I want them to give it to someone else. And then I want more people to read it. And I just want it to be really exciting. But now I think one of my favorite, favorite quotes, I might've even said it on our first podcast that we did together is from Maya Angelou. People will never remember what you said or what you did. They will always remember how you made them feel. So once upon a time, I would have concentrated on like the exact wording. And if everyone thought I was smart and a good writer, and I would want them to put it down and go, oh, wow, that was brilliant. But (laughs) now what I concentrate on is all I care about. If they don't remember a thing they read, all I want people to finish the book with is a feeling of yay, of that exact joyful excitement about the future and about the potential and possibilities that you can realize that you might not have thought that you would realize. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to someone about this today. I think 
the whole idea of the book is even if you change nothing after it, even if you've decided that your life as it is, is exactly the one that suits you and exactly the one that suits your passions and merges your your uh, your interest and your skills and your talents, even if you change nothing in your life after you read it, the fact that you've sat and thought about whether or not it brings you the most yay and that you've decided, like, I think we spend so much time on the autopilot, on autopilot, like we just spend so much of our lives just going on pathways that we might've chosen for ourselves 10 years ago when we were completely different people and we never stopped to take stock and think, do I care about this pathway? Am I happy? Does it actually mean something to me? Is it aligned with what I'm good at or what I enjoy? I don't think we ever even ask those questions. So I want the book to be an opportunity for everyone to break that autopilot circuit, to get off the productivity hamster wheel, to turn their attention back to making conscious choices over their life. And hopefully if they were maybe in doubt or full of fear before they picked it up, that by the end they're excited because they're like, I can get through that. I do have control over my circumstances and I am going to seize my yay and it's all going to be okay. (laughs) I love that. It's all about going nay to yay, which you do talk a little bit about, well, a lot about. <laughs> and I know you do reference a lot of your own story throughout. So it's it's a handbook of instructions based on your own experience and what you've been through. Something that I loved about your book is, well, you're always an authentic person anyway. It comes through in everything that you do on your socials and in your business and especially oh. in your book. And there was this thing that you spoke about, I think it was oh, like page 50 or something like that. And you were saying... <laughs> somewhere in the book I know it's there and you were saying how when you wanted to start Match and Maiden you simply googled how to start a tea business or something like that yeah you just started from scratch and what I loved is that sometimes in our head we get this idea that oh you know you just happen to know everything and you knew you know all the steps you needed to take and you're like nah to Google and Googled it. And I love that because it's real and you started from scratch and you built your way up. And that's really encouraging because it tells us no matter where we are at in life, if we want to do something, it's okay to Google it and start from there. Totally. I really want to show, I think why I loved tracing through the chapters kind of chronologically, like going back from the very start and why I do that in every episode as well, is to remind everyone that everyone started from scratch. Even the people who may have found their ultimate joy and live a totally fulfilling life and have it all together and have confidence and exude that in their everyday life. Like Even those people started from not knowing what their pathway was. All of us were children, right? All of us went through what are jobs? What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to be when I grow up? Like that's identity. That's part of it. You just often walk into someone's life at a chapter where they seem like they have it all together. So I was like, I have to trace back all the moments where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, who, what is this idea of business? And not like no one has any idea until you really start to engage with the earlier chapters of people's stories that most people started on Google. Like most people have no idea what they're doing. The best ideas come that way. Mm-hmm. And I often think you might be up to this chapter already, but I didn't know, I, I hadn't put a name to it before I actually wrote the book, but I have changed my whole mentality from always thinking I needed to dream big, like dream beyond your limits. <laughs> you know, if your dreams aren't big enough, they don't scare you, which is important obviously because if you don't dream beyond your current reality you'll never exceed your you know you'll never go past that you'll always be in the comfort zone Mm -hmm. but sometimes you dream so big that it scares you off doing anything at all because you've dreamed too big and you're like well I can't start a global food company overnight but 
you forget no one does no one <laughs> did everyone they've started small everyone had to start with one step we are all only one person we all only have the limbs and the brain and the hours of the day that we have so I've gone from dream big to adding a little caveat plan small my philosophy is now dream big but plan small you think of like the ultimate best case scenario in this exciting rose-colored glasses way so you get excited and motivated but when you start all you need to focus on is the immediate next step whether that be get on google register your business name think up a name think of the product you're going to do like at any one time, there's only one step at a time that you can take. So just focus on that one and the others will fall into place. You don't need to worry about like overseas shipping before you've even launched because you've got nothing to ship yet. So it's like. I love it. It's so true. It's so true because we get so hung up with the bigger picture that we forget the smaller pictures. You know? Yeah, and and you also forget that you're not going to need to worry about the bigger picture mm. ever unless you start the smaller picture, like unless you. I think one of the quotes I also refer to all the time is worry is interest on a debt paid in advance that you don't even owe yet or something yes. like that. Yes. I've forgotten how eloquent <laughs> it actually is. It's something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But I did. I spent hours and hours and weeks and weeks worrying about like how are we going to ship into America? How are we going to get past the FDA? And Nick was like, we don't even have a store in Australia yet. Like just we don't have a, a store in like Caulfield North. Like just calm down. Calm like, down. Yeah. yeah, like what is the point yeah. in getting all obsessed with all yes. these big scale questions when you yes. really don't, you haven't even started? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about self-sabotage, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, because it's sort of you've sort of already addressed that already. But there was something I loved. You coined a few things. <laughs> and you also referenced a lot of amazing people. And what I loved was you created this definition for self-work. So it was all about the fact that instead of when, when we're self-sabotaging ourselves or we think we are uh, telling ourselves, you know, we can't do something or whatever, I just want to read, I think this was on page 40. I just want to read it because I think it's just perfect. It's a blind spot. So self-work is a blind spot for my weaknesses and areas for improvement. I love that because when you can, it's an idea that we can still work through this, that instead of it preventing us from moving forward and achieving our goals, we can just like anything else practice and we will move forward and we'll be able to achieve what we want to do because we're working on ourselves and we see ourselves as a form of improvement. And I just thought, yes, that's a really good way of thinking about it, flipping it on its head. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. I love that you've done so much research and you know the page references and stuff. Like I don't even know those. <laughs> it's amazing. You wrote the book. It doesn't matter. It's done now. You don't have to worry about page numbers. But yeah, I absolutely love that. And the other thing I actually wanted to read, Ashley, I feel like this is... Um... It's almost like I've written the book. Can I just say, Sarah? <clears throat> I love that you've tabbed it. Like, honestly, I do that to everyone else's books. And it is such, I cannot tell you yeah. how incredibly honored I am to see that you have done that to my book. Like, I do it to everyone else's. And it's just like, I think a truly loved book is one that has like scribbles and highlights and tabs and like the ones that got all the dog ears and stuff. I love that. Thank well, you. It even has a love heart. It's a love heart sticking out <gasps> as well. I know because I love it that much. Anyway, I want to read you this. This is really, really special. This is on page 46 for anyone oh, thank also you. reading yeah. along. Okay. <laughs> right. You're talking about friendship. And you're talking about your network and how important it is to have people around you that care for you, that want to see you shine, yeah, and grow and challenge you. Okay, mm -hmm. now giving you the, the background. All right. 
Hence why the support of those around you is so important. When it comes to something as small as a Facebook conversation or a coffee <coughs> match a date or as big as literally investing in you and your ideas, it follows that you should very carefully choose those you have around you so that in times of need, you turn to people who will support you, not crush your dreams. Also see chapter five. It is still important, however, to also develop your own internal strategies and lean on those in those moments when big dreams and ideas hang in the balance. As any self-work does, these strategies may take many years to create and perfect. They have for me, but being aware that it is possible to overcome your internal imposter dialogue is a great first step. You already have every single tool you need to dispel your doubts. Boom. <gasps> How good was that, Sarah? It's like you wrote it. It actually sounds like so much better when someone else says it. <laughs> like, can you just like do my audiobook? Oh, I'll do your audiobook. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's so, so powerful. I love it because even when you are doubting yourself, your dreams, if you've got people behind you that say, hey, you can do it, even on your toughest day, it can even help you get out of that that headspace that says I'm not good enough, you know, that mm. negative self-talk, hey. Mm. And I think one thing I've really learned is not to expect it to ever go away. I think I always thought that the solution was to just get successful and get confident enough and have all the right tools and have done enough self-work that one day I woke up and I didn't feel like I doubted myself or I didn't worry about confidence or comparison. But I now interpret it as a really healthy sign that I really care about the outcome. Like, mm. If I did ever wake up one day and not really care that much or didn't have nerves before a talk or whatever it may be, I'd worry that I'd become complacent and that I wasn't trying to do a good job or I wasn't really invested in growing into each new stage. So, But the big thing is once you know that it's always going to be there, you have a choice when it arrives in your mind. You can either let it sort of multiply and like fester and become this whole consuming thing that dictates your decisions and actually makes you go, I probably am crap. Like I'm probably not going to take that pathway or you can just acknowledge it. It's like, this is a bit of a trigger. This is a natural reaction. It's telling me and confirming for me in a good way that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone, but I don't have to listen to it. It's just like, okay, you've proven to me that I'm doing something big and scary. You're probably wrong because this is just a natural self human reflex, but I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to surround myself with all the other supportive voices that will help me drown you out and just press on. And I think that's the same with any thought pattern. We forget that we are not our thoughts. There are neural loops that the more you think them, the more you reinforce them, the less you think them, the less strong they get. So just practice reinforcing the thoughts that help you and dulling the ones that don't. 100%. I couldn't agree more. That's right. Learn epic life skills in a super chill way. Sign up for free at herpal.com. Talking about negative self-talk, I was just telling you off air that someone I really look up to is Melissa Ambrosini and she's a good friend of yours and you got to meet her amongst many others at the Wellness Festival in 2016 and you referenced that in your book as well and in your book you also spoke about the power pose. So you were asked to speak at the Wellness Festival two years into Match and Maiden and you, the, some of the speakers at the event were Lisa Messenger, Carla Oates from The Beauty Chef, Melissa Ambrosini, Julie Stavania and all these amazing 
women. And I'm looking at you going, oh, you deserve to be there. But you were saying that you felt like at the time, what am I doing here compared to these other women? And then you had these amazing women around you sort of saying, hey, you can do it. And I think Julie was the one that referenced or told you about the Wonder Woman pose. Can you tell us Mm. a little bit about what the Wonder Woman pose is, which helped you have the confidence to go on stage? Yeah, well, that is one of the perfect examples of the fact that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with or the sum of the five people who are around you at the time when you make the decision that is the one that's making you doubt yourself. Mm. Because if I had had competitive, nasty, you know, other like really harsh women around me who did agree that I shouldn't be there and had told me that, I would have 100% believed them because I was so vulnerable. Mm. I didn't have the tools to go, actually, you're wrong. Like I deserve to be here. But because they were so incredibly supportive, they boosted me like they gave me so much more confidence than I had before them just offering such a a, such a generous helping hand to someone they knew it was my first speaking gig I'd never been through those nerves before so I never had I'd never had to develop the tools to get get through it can I just say quickly yeah your first speaking gig I just have to iterate that again your first speaking gig was at the wellness festival with all these amazing women yeah, and I was a pretty last. good start. <laughs> yeah, they always put the reject glass. Now I'm joking. I'm joking. Literally, literally after Sarah Wilson, I was like, um, I don't really. I mean, like, could I ever have had better ingredients to genuinely believe I didn't belong there? I was like, why? Like, see, it is my first time. I have literally not even. Had, I don't even have one example. I didn't actually even have an example. You know how people say, oh, you've done this before. You yeah. know, you've got this. I'm like, I haven't even got that to tell myself. Like, I literally don't know how this is going to go. But um, Julie told me about the fact that there are like this. I mean, obviously, we're starting to learn a lot more about the connection between your mind and your body and like, you know, behavioral cues and things on your confidence and the way that your mind's thinking, which we haven't understood really until much more recently. Mm-hmm. But there are certain positions that you can do that take up physically more space. And you will tell sometimes when you look at people's body language, you can tell a bit about their emotional state. When you're not feeling confident, you'll shrink in the space, like without even realizing it. You'll often shrink back. You'll like have really bad posture and you kind of lean into yourself because you're trying to hide yourself because you feel so, you know, not worthy of being there whereas you can kind of circuit break that kind of thinking by just acting or replicating the behaviors that someone who was feeling more confident would feel and that actually helps you to generate those feelings so the power pose is literally when we talk about the wonder woman position you just stand like wonder woman you instead of your feet together and trying to be smaller you have your feet shoulder length like shoulder distance apart So you're like solid in the ground. Instead of your shoulders hunched forward, you push them back and really like take it. The aim is to physically take up more space. So you're commanding more respect and attention and like projecting more confidence, whether or not you feel it. And you cross your hands like across each other, across your chest, again, to sort of puff out your chest and your arms (laughs) and your shoulders. So you're physically taking up more space. People have to notice you and it projects a confidence that then... I I don't actually know how it works, but it signals something to your brain that you deserve to be there and that you're taking up this much space because, you know, like you're not shrinking into the physical space. And uh, it comes from a TED talk that Amy Cuddy did, which looks at behavioral cues in like uh, corporate context and interviews and the fact that 
that you can actually influence the outcome of meetings or decisions that are crucial, whether or not you have your hands on the table or under the table or subtle behavioral cues that project to other people, whether or not you're feeling confident and then influences their behavior towards you, which then in fact influences the way you think about yourself. (laughs) So, I mean, it gets very overwhelming when you start looking at these neuro behavioral, you know, things, but another podcast, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it reminded me that even if it's not a thing, like even if it scientifically wasn't a thing, mm. it's a, it's more just a cue for yourself. It's mm-hmm. a cue to remind you like you're probably going to feel nervous and you're probably going to want to shrink. But if you counteract that, then you're aware that you can like you can circumvent those thoughts. You're aware to remind yourself you deserve to be here. They wouldn't have picked you otherwise. Like you can stop negative thoughts in their tracks. And sometimes it does take a post-it note on your mirror or a Wonder Woman pose before you go on stage. Like I still do it anyway. And even if it's a placebo, it helps me enormously mm-hmm. to remember you're always going to feel nervous. Don't worry about it. Love it. And you know what? You could always put a photo of yourself posing as Wonder Woman or a photo of Wonder Woman, whatever suits you, as your screensaver on your phone. So that when you look at it, you're, <laughs> so when you look at it, you're reminded constantly. Cause that's probably the thing we look at most, because it's with us everywhere we go. I mean, mm. not so much in COVID, especially you and I in Melbourne. <laughs> we're not going anywhere (laughs) no it seems like it's going on for a long time but it's a good thing to have because we're constantly reminded of it and it's just this incredible effect even if you said as you said before it could be a placebo it's still in our mind something that we can train ourselves to go oh hang on I deserve to be here let's arch our back let's actually make us feel exactly how we want to become because that's what we're capable of if we believe in it so I absolutely Mm. love it the last question I'd love to ask you before we finish up is you've now written your first book amazing congratulations (laughs) I love how much you clap for me I'm like you should just follow me around in life and just (laughs) applaud me every time I do something I'm feeling very good about myself (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad you're beautiful I just want to ask a question about your lessons learned in writing a book so more about the book process or book writing process what advice would you give to someone listening right now that's like I would love to write a book whether it's a non-fiction book fiction book a memoir like yourself what would you say to go this is my top tips based on your experience yeah that's a great one I would recommend I mean I know time restraints and like not really it's, it's hard if you don't actually want to write a book or you didn't already have it as a goal for yourself. But I genuinely think I relearned, not only relearned and consolidated every single lesson that I wrote down, like as I was writing the self-doubt, the self-doubt chapter, I was having self-doubt about who am I to have this book? Such imposter syndrome was hitting me as I was writing the lessons that I was reminding myself, I know the tools. I know that this is negative and this is just self-talk in my head that's natural but it it like it's almost like I needed to hear everything that I was writing down as I wrote it and then in the comparison period that's when I started to look at other authors and think oh my god like every time I wrote something I was living it and I think that it's firstly the most incredibly cathartic and transformational experience to write down everything you know and every strategy you might have for living your best life because you forget it. You forget that you know all the stuff that you know and weaving in your own story to it. Like I I think everyone should spend a certain amount of time of their life, maybe not writing the book for someone else to read it, but it's almost just like journaling. Mm -hmm. Like I can't say how exciting and thrilled I am that 
forever for the rest of my life, if I never sold a book, I would have a comprehensive record of who I was and what I thought and believed about the world at this time in my life Mm -hmm. to show my kids one day or to reflect on in 10 years when I'm a different person and I think different things. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the best gift you can give yourself, even if it's not necessarily a full book, you can sit down and just journal who you are and what you think about things. Cause there's something so cathartic about writing it down and reminding yourself you actually have more wisdom than you could ever know. But the other thing is if it is fiction or if it is any kind of writing piece, not even necessarily in a developmental or cathartic kind of way, just start. You will not be able to predict when you feel like writing or when all your inspiration comes and it like literally some days you will have all the best conditions and nothing will come out. You'll write two sentences. The next day you'll write five chapters. Like inspiration will hit you at all kinds of strange times and it's a process and a half. Like for an instant gratuity focused society, it is the most dis, like the most uncomfortable process that it just takes as long as it takes for you to get your ideas on paper. So I would suggest just start now. If you want a publishing deal and you don't have one, start anyway because it might take you, you know, a couple of months to even get your first paragraph or your first chapter exactly how you want it. You have to do a lot of, like for every sentence you write, there's this much thinking. So it's like, well, no one can see my hands, obviously. <laughs> for every... <laughs> your hands went from close together to far apart. There we go. Yes. So the book that you see at the end, yeah. the thinking that went behind that is so much more like, so much more deep and took so many more hours than the actual writing process. So I think for anyone who has an idea, start writing. You'll be surprised what comes out. I wrote, before I even got the book deal, I wrote like seven different introductions because I knew that I wanted to write about this idea of CCA. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just to get those out of your system so you can get to the crux of what you actually want to say, even if it's just to say, actually, that's not the book I want to write, (laughs) just start. It is a beautiful process. Um, and many authors will say to you, like everyone writes differently and you need to figure out who you are and how you write before you actually have a deadline. So just give it a go, sit down, give yourself some time to just like let your ideas come out on paper. And it's, it can be an an incredibly frustrating process, (laughs) but it's also wonderful. It is so wonderful. It is a pleasure and a joy to just play with language in a way that none of us do anymore. And, um, I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's a wonderful thing to do, even if it's just for you. Like I don't actually, I mean, I, it's, I'm so, so grateful that it's done really well, but even if it didn't, the process itself for me was the, like the journey was the bit that I loved. It wasn't, there was the end game wasn't like the sales of the book or I didn't create the book as a product to sell. I created it because I wanted to write a book and I wanted to get it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think you could, everyone can enjoy the process of doing it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure reading it so far. I cannot wait to tell you what I think at the end. And like I said at the very start of this podcast episode, I said, how do you want people to feel when they finish? And I already feel really empowered. So, and I'm not even done yet. So um, thank you so much. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me and just for the loveliest words. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. You can pay me later. (laughs) Where can people pick up your book, Sarah? Oh, well, in Victoria, all online, obviously. (laughs) Booktopia is the best place to get it. Uh, It's also on Amazon. You can get it online. A lot of bookstores have books online at the moment, but uh, Kmart, Big W, Target, all good bookstores, Dimmicks. Everywhere? 
It's pretty much everywhere, yeah. <laughs> and even Coles and Woolies one day as well, it seems. <laughs> everywhere <laughs> except Victoria. <laughs> yeah, everywhere right. except the shops that I can go to right now. That's right. Oh, me too. I can't wait for lockdown to be over. Thank you so much for coming on this bonus episode. And obviously for our very first episode we did with you as well, we got you twice this week. We're very lucky. And we just wish you all the best, Sarah, with all your ventures that you've got going on. And we wish you all the best with maybe another book. You never know. You might write another one one day. Mm. Oh, <laughs> not for, that, not for a little weird? while. <laughs> I was like, does this mean another book's coming with them? But you're like, nah, need a break. I definitely need a, I definitely need a breather. But uh, I'd consider it. I think it's like childbirth. Like you forget the, you need time to forget the trauma of like yeah. how long it took you to get it all out there. And I, you know, I mean, like I fight. There's a whole chapter on perfectionism because it was so hard for me to let go of the idea of needing every single sentence to be perfect. Mm. So, um. Yeah, it's close to perfect, yeah. so you did all right. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks, lovely. Isn't Sarah the best? As she mentioned, you can find her brand new book, CCA, on booktopia.com.au, in department stores, as well as all good bookstores. Grab yourself a copy. You won't regret it. Thanks for tuning into this bonus episode of Power Up Life. What did you think? Did you love it? If so, why not leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app? By doing so, you're helping us reach even more people just like you. Want to be a HerPower advocate and contribute to our weekly talk topics and more? Email us at your say, that's Y-O-U-R-S-A-Y, at HerPower.com. Don't forget to follow us on socials. Simply look up HerPowerAU to follow us and stay in the know. This episode of Power Up Live was produced by me, Gianna Lucas, Maria Dukadinovska, and Carissa Shale for the HerPower Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Power Up Life, a HAPOW podcast. If you loved this episode, be a legend and leave us a quick rating and review on your fave podcast app. Dive into the show notes for all episodes on our website, hapow.com forward slash podcast. Catch you next time and remember to power up life.